This is Andrew Brewer. I am the host of the Healthcare Insights in Northwest North Carolina podcast brought to you by Northwest Area Health Education Center at Wake Forest School of Medicine. Today I have the extreme privilege of uh, introducing my guest, Troy Manns, who's the statewide manager of advocacy and education, among many other things, um, at the Recovery Communities of North Carolina, and I'm just thrilled to have you today on the podcast, and we're going to talk about a lot of things, I'm sure, but uh, what I'd like to do for uh, to start, Troy, is, is you introduce yourself and just kind of give us uh, uh, cliff notes of, of, of your journey, and, um, and, and we'll go from there. How's that? That sounds good. Uh, so, uh, my name is Troy Manns, and uh, First thing about me, I'm a person in long-term recovery. What that means for me for the past 21 years, I have not found a reason to pick up a drink or a drug, which is by the grace of God. And it's absolutely amazing because it has given me a life that I, I only dreamed about at one time. I always tell people I'm living the dream. <laughs> I'm living the dream. So I'm married. To my beautiful wife Michelle, uh, and uh, we live in Graham, North Carolina. Just moved to Graham about a year ago, and uh, yeah, so we just uh, we've just dedicated our lives, uh, my wife and I, to just giving back to people and trying to help people find a better way to live. Well, that's wonderful. And that's what I love to do. That's that's wonderful. I mean, it you know the hero's journey is is the story we all love to, to 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 hear about and read and and see in movies and and I think just reading the, your background, um, you know that's what you've become. You're, you're a hero to a lot of people. And and one of the terms that I like uh, in your bio is change strategist. So why don't you why don't you riff on that term for a minute? <laughs> yeah, well, my, my executive director, Dr. Uh, Rita Nita, gave me that. She gave me that title, man. I was like, wow, I like it. Um, but, you know, I've just always, since I think it comes from how I had to survive when I was in addiction, uh, you know, you, you, know you, you just couldn't take no for an answer, right? So <laughs> you had to, you know, be able to maneuver in some rough situations. And so... I bring that same energy to the table when it comes to uh, helping people change their lives. Um, I kind of believe I'm like a fireman. When the building's on fire, I'm running in. So I don't really look at things as a problem. I look at them as an opportunity to create a situation for people to uh, have an opportunity. So um, wherever there's an issue and substance use or mental health issues or just life in general, I believe I've been gifted uh, by God to be able to create something to help people. And I believe all of us had it in us somewhere. Just takes the right situation to reveal it to you. Well, right. I mean, how much of your experience with the initial barriers to to help when you're seeking it? Um, uh, catalyze the way that you approach it today and the things that you've done to remove barriers uh, for people entering recovery? Yeah, I mean, you know, where I'm from, man, first of all, uh, I'm from a small town called Eden, North Carolina. Uh, and people just really didn't understand addiction, first of all. 
So there was a lot of barriers up for people who were struggling with substance use. Um, so one of the things that I try to do is, is teach people what substance use is, first of all, uh, because our society has adopted this thinking that it's a moral failure with people. Or, or, you know, those people just made that bad choice, right? So, uh, you know, helping them understand that uh, no matter what uh, table that they sit at, if they understand this, they can be individuals who uh, are able to help create change within our society. Uh, so some of the barriers that I faced was just the access to, to help, um, you know, which is a big issue. You know, people who are trying to get help, uh, a lot of people we're dealing with don't have transportation. Uh, they don't have insurance, <laughs> you know, uh, healthcare systems, you know, it's hard sometimes trying to get help without insurance. And just the lack of knowledge of resources, right? Uh, a lot of people don't even know what their local, uh, management is for their uh, mental health and substance use. So just helping people understand that has been a, a big change agent in what we do. Yeah, well, tell me about some of the initiatives you've, you've uh, been a part of um, over the years and, and how that's expanded those resources and, and, and what's been your challenges and what's been your successes in, in, in those efforts. Uh, yeah, I've, I've, my, 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 Probably the one that I take the most, I don't like to use the word pride, uh, but I do take that the most pride in would be our jail initiative in Orange County when we started uh, a program in the Orange County jail with inmates, a peer support program. I partnered uh, with a program called Josh's Hope. Uh, and I got the idea from uh, another program that was and uh, going on in Richmond, Virginia, where uh, these guys were going into the jail in Richmond and helping uh, men and women who had opioid addiction. They were carrying like a program inside the jail. And uh, I was at a uh, I was at a conference and uh, the guy's name is John Shinder. I think is his last name. I might be messing his name up. But anyway, he was just a very loud guy and I heard him in a meeting talking and I was drawn to that, <laughs> you know, and I was like, I like this guy. And he was just very adamant about, you know, we don't need to lock people up. They need treatment. And when I heard that, you know, it was like my radars went off and I listened to this guy talk for about an hour and the influence that he had on me was incredible. So I came back and I was working at the time, uh, with a, uh, another nonprofit organization, uh, we were doing what they call, uh, and I must put this plug in, it used to be called drug court in Orange County, but I advocated for them to change the name and they changed the name to recovery court to take away the stigma from the name. And I went back and talked to one of the judges, man, who his name was Judge, Judge Bryant, he's retired now. And I was telling him about this, man, and I said, man, I wonder if we could get that going in the Orange County Jail. And he said, man, jot down your ideas and email them to me. I did it. He emailed me back. And he had set up a meeting with the local sheriff, man, uh, Sheriff Blackwood. And 
we went in and I laid it out on the table. He listened to me for about three minutes, man. And he said, I don't need to know anymore. And I kind of thought, okay, this is all over right here. He says, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just, you know, he was, he was an advocate. He understood. And we had, we had been at different tables together uh, throughout the community, you know, to help people with substance use. And he knew my passion and my drive for helping people. And uh, yeah, we partnered with Josh's Hope, uh, Julie and Steve Bailey. Uh, that's a whole nother subject. You know, they, they went through a lot uh, to start Josh's Hope with losing their son who had mental health issues and substance use disorder. And he was murdered in Orange County and they started a program named after him. And I partnered with them and that program is still running, man. And it's helping men who are in the Orange County Jail receive services while they're incarcerated. Yeah, that's great. I, I had on the podcast Sheriff Kimbrough here in Forsyth County, and you know his 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 statement was, "You can't incarcerate uh, our way out of you know substance use disorders. I mean, we can't incarcerate our our populations out of addiction, and and." And and therefore, you know, we we not we don't need to criminalize them. We need to help them recover. And uh, and I guess you know that leads to the question, or I don't know if it leads to it, but one of the questions that popped up was, is recovery different depending on the substance in question, or is it all kind of the same? Depend, you know, just because it it's 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 dealing with um, a certain type of behavior and, and a background that leads to that. Yeah, so, you know, we're in such a data age. I think we're data craving. I think we're, we're data sick almost. Uh, I, I do believe that with opioids, there is a more of a physical withdrawal from opioids than it would be, you know, cocaine. Uh, we don't talk about alcohol as much anymore because of the opioid crisis. But what I do believe is recovery in itself is possible for anyone, no matter what the addiction is. Because what recovery does, it gets to the root cause of why somebody is using that substance anyway, and creating an opportunity or uh, what we call capital for them to be able to recover. Uh, you know, and one of the things I always tell people, uh, especially, you know, some people have an issue, which I can't believe they have an issue with Narcan, you know, I, you know, we Narcan this guy six times and, and it's like, when is, when is enough enough? And I, and I'm like, well, when did we give up on anybody's life? And I think that goes back to the stigma again. There's so much stigma placed upon uh, addiction, man, that, you know, people are willing to give up on somebody because they uh, overdosed three times. And I'm like, well, they can't recover if they're not alive, right? So what I do believe, man, is that all of us, whether we are opioid addicted, whether we are alcohol or cocaine, uh, we, we have to go through the withdrawal process, but then once we get through that, the recovery process is definitely an inside out thing. Um, I, I would think that most people in recovery who have sustainable recovery would agree that the inner man or the inner woman has to change and find another way to live, you know, and it takes time. Yeah, I love that. Uh, you, you said the why, and I think that that's the most, you know, there's, I don't know which philosopher said this, but those with a why can endure any how. 
and uh, you know again I, I i think you answered what i was getting at i think i was getting at was it's not really the substance or the matter that is the matter it's the it's the the why or the lack of why uh people have and they're using to escape or to mask or to you know just self-medicate to not deal with or not search for a why and what have you learned through your years of helping people like the you know or or maybe share something that you've seen in people when they when when they get the why when it when it kind of the light turns on and 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 you see that inner self awakening to you know the 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 value and the uh gift that recovery is yeah uh there is a there's a quote from uh one of the uh mutual aid groups that i that i live by uh, that lost dreams are awakening so you know it's like when you see that light bulb go off that that to me is the light bulb hope because most people who are dealing with substance have lost any hope for life. But, you know, to be around somebody and you see that light bulb go off and then they come to a place of not being hopeless, but being hopeful, anything is possible. Anything, you know, and that's why I, I probably never would have made a good clinical person because I wasn't designed to be clinical, man. I. I have to share my experience, man, because I was hopeless, you, you know? And so when I'm talking to somebody, I, I'm I'm talking to myself almost, you know? And to see that, I see myself in them. And uh, once you see that hopefulness, then you can start, you know, delivering the skills or whatever they need to do to maneuver through this thing. So yeah, man, that's a, that takes time, man, and it takes patience to get there well what 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 is the strategy used in in your experience that that helps people see and and get that light to 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 shine inside just uh i use genuine love man i i i've been you know i, I always say it's a gift from god man i, I never shy down from that uh genuine love and care for people people know and this is something that I would I would tell anybody, whether you're, you know, master's level, PhD level, people don't care about how much you know, they care about how much you care. And if, if they know that you care, you, you can start a process much easier than coming to the table about how much you know. And, and I think we fall short sometimes. We come to the table with all our knowledge and and, and we just lose people because people genuinely are drawn to people who they know cares about them. So that's a big deal. Yeah, I, I think that's that's so important that you mentioned that, that, uh, <clears throat> you know, we have this in the in the pure clinical healthcare relationship, you have the expert and the patient and there is that power dynamic that uh you know the expert's going to tell you what to do and one of the uh biggest obstacles uh to uh getting better from from an illness 
or a condition is compliance, right? And why is that? Well, because people don't like to be told what to do, you know, no right. matter. And so, uh, you know, the clinicians always say, well, what, what can we do to increase compliance? And it goes back to the recovery model, you know, the motivational interviewing and mm -hmm. the health the wellness coaching and those kind of things that you can't just tell people what to do. They have to find it. They have to find it within themselves. Yes. That power that they have over. So that's, I mean, for, for you, as long as you've been doing this, I mean, it's gotta be so rewarding to see people get that light lit up inside themselves. Well, you know, my, my, uh, my grandfather, he was a he was a he was a outside person. He loved outdoors. He planted gardens, and and I learned so much just by watching him. Uh, and one of the things that I think we miss a lot of times in this work is that our job is to plant the seed. It's not up to us when this seed comes forth, right? And maybe what we plant today, somebody else down the road gives the water to it. Uh, and I've had this happen plenty of times. I'll be, I'll be in Walmart somewhere, man, and somebody will roll up on me. Hey, hey, Troy, how you doing, man? I'm like, how you doing? <laughs> like, you remember me? And I'm like, ah, man. It was like you helped me like 13 years ago. I was in, you know, the crisis unit, man, and you just, you was there for me, man. I want you to meet my wife and kids, and and I, I have no clue who I'm talking to, <laughs> you know. But I know that. God allowed me to plant that seed, you know, one day in that person's life. And that is the, you know, product of the seed that was planted. So um, it is rewarding, but it, it's not an instant reward. You, you know what I mean? And I think when I'm trying to uh, mentor, you know, younger people coming into this work, uh, they're coming into it looking for instant reward of their work. And I'm like, nah, you, you're going to have to stay around a little while. <laughs> well, I think I think everyone lo looks for the quick fix. And I think in our society, you know, we want a shot or a pill. It's going to fix everything. And and um, and we're impatient with that. And it's sort of like, a you know, a weight loss journey. You know, it's like, if what's your goal? Well, I want to lose 20 pounds. I'm like, no you know, what, what is your real goal is to probably to feel better or to just be healthier. And, you know, uh, this is a lifetime commitment and the same mm -hmm. thing I think is w with recovery too. And, and there's a lot of things that are bubbling up in my head that I want to try to articulate a, a question to you. Um, one of them is, you know, throughout your years of, of helping people, you know, there's, there's, a, there's kind of a cultural, uh, uh, vocabulary that kind of evolves through through time, and and I remember just not too long ago, uh, the word was like trauma informed uh, uh, counseling or trauma informed care, and now I'm hearing more and more people get on uh, the strength based approach. And have you have you had have you seen this kind of evolve through through throughout oh, yeah. your experience? Yeah, yeah, I have, man. I, I've I've have. I watched it go into the strength base more. Uh, more about a person's strength than focusing on the 
actual uh, addiction in itself and uh, person-centered uh, type treatment is being provided more. Um, I think a mixture of both of them is helpful though. I think because when a person gets an understanding of the, you know, why I may be reacting the way I am to certain things, it, it gives them better opportunity to grasp recovery at that point. And just making sure that we make, we're, we're making the individuals we work with understand that they carry stigma within themselves. You know, I, I meet with a lot of people who, when they come to the table, they're already calling themselves failures. And, you know, they never really, and, and you know, I'm from a generation, I, I'm getting old now. So we, we're dealing with a whole different generation too that didn't have the, what I call, we call in our family to try, right? We had the whole, we had dad, my mom, my grandparents, aunts and uncles, we had a trial. Well, we're dealing with individuals now who they don't know anything about the trial. So just having to relook at some of the uh, the ways that we approach individuals is where they come from. Uh, you know, we I'm doing a training right now and we just talked a little bit about culture and understanding cultures. And, you know, a lot of people come from households where drug use is part of the culture, man. Like this. That's all they ever know, so it well, can be challenging sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I I've seen, and I don't know this to be fact or anything, but I sort of get the feeling that um, people with lacking a tribe or lacking a a well a congregation or fellowship uh, that they look to their identity or they look to some feature of themselves for identity. And that's, and it can be the identity of a victim. I am a victim instead of, uh, and that's who I am versus mm -hmm. I have been victimized yet. Mm -hmm. I, that's not me. I'm not a victim. So that's, that's why I like the strength-based talk. I always it kind of rubbed me wrong. The trauma-based or the trauma informed, like you're okay. It's, you know, it's not your fault. You can't do anything about it. Um, that doesn't seem to me like the path forward. It seems to me like, you know, you survived this. Here you are now, and here we are talking, and you got to this point because you 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 persevered, and now you're on this path, and you're gonna we're gonna focus on your strength to get to to find your new tribe. Let's say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you're exactly right, Andrew. And let me tell you something else. I you know this is just me. This is a Troy Manstein. I think it's impossible to recover without self-responsibility. I've never seen anybody do it. They, they just stay in a cycle. So somewhere in this, there has to be self-responsibility. Once I come to the knowledge of what's going on, I have to take responsibility. I can be offered all the help in the world, all of the resources in the world. I mean, I think I was watching a thing on San Francisco yesterday where they have such a problem with uh, opioids and, and, and drugs going on, but they have just in San Francisco over a billion dollars worth of resources to help people. And, and so the question becomes is, all right, is a person gonna take the help or not? And we can offer all day, but self-responsibility has to come in. And uh, you're exactly right, the tribe, really helped me with that, you know, um, 
I never was allowed to to make excuses for anything in my life, you know. And uh, even though I do have substance use disorder, you know, now that I know, now that I have the information, it's my responsibility every day I get up to do the things that I know I need to do to keep my life on this track. Yeah. So sometimes I think that rubs people the wrong way when you talk that way. <laughs> you know, well, but I'm just yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think culturally we, we, you know, everyone's scared of offending each other or, or your feelings matter more than your accountability and, and mm -hmm. your entitlement is more important than your responsibilities and those kind of things. Yeah. And, and, you know, you said, I heard Conor McGregor say it, uh, you know, do the work, you know, you have to do, you know, to wow. get where you want to go. And I think that, you know, you can throw money and resources at people, but unless they find a community of accountability like your tribe that you're, that you, or they look to themselves and they say, you know, I do have agency. I do have sovereignty over my decisions and therefore I am responsible uh, to, to, to become the better version of myself, let's say. Um, I don't know what my question is there, but <laughs> no, that was good though, man. That was good. <laughs> I mean, this is a topic that's near and dear to me. I mean, I, you know, I, I've had a lot of uh, uh, substance use uh, issues in, in, in my own community, in my own tribe, um, and I've lost a, a, a younger sister and younger brother from alcohol uh, addiction, and you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's it's influenced and catalyzed me to go more into health and wellness coaching and fitness and, and, and be, you know, want to help other people. And so I'm learning quite a bit about, you know, how to coach people without being directive and without being uh, demanding and without being prescriptive. And it's just so hard for us as humans not to go into that, corrective reflex and and, yeah. and, and and you know you said it earlier is to you know they've got to go inside themselves and you got to help them draw it out and get that why mm -hmm. and, and i just think that that's that's such got to be such a good feeling and i know that i'm sure it just fills you with joy when you see someone light up with that most definitely yeah most definitely. So, so so i guess my question are is recovery ever uh past tense are, are are those who have in recovery do they ever finish recovery or is it just a oh. lifelong commitment well i mean i i know people who you know uh say they've recovered uh i know people who say they are in the process of recovery uh for me personally i i don't think that the active using part of is active in my life uh and that's through, you know, the grace of God and just really a change of attitudes and behaviors. So the active part of using drugs and alcohol is no longer a issue with me. Uh, I like to say I'm in recovery because I like to leave room to continue to grow. And I think recovery for me is more than just not using drugs. It's just becoming the best me that God has created me to be. Uh, I allow myself room to to be human, you know, uh, but I, I try to incorporate spiritual principles in every part of my life and what I do, and it's transformed my life. Like, 
It's undeniable. Trans, my life is transformed because of that. And I have a whole witness of a city that will tell you that. Like, you can go to Eden and interview anybody who used to know me, and they will tell you, like, that dude is like night and day. And mm -hmm. so I can only, you know, share with people my truth. Like, you know, it, it takes, uh, number one, a desire, and number two, the willingness to do what you got to do. Because I think we've got to a place that we think we can medicate this and and fix people. And, uh, you know, I think last year we lost 96,000 people to overdose. So that right there, the numbers, if, you, if you're if a data person and listening to this and you wanted me to give you some data, so there it was. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Well, speaking of that data, uh, what percentage just, you know, just spitballing, what percentage of people that you have seen be successful in their recovery efforts and become better versions of themselves? What percentage found God in that process? Oh, um, I don't have an exact number. And. But I would argue that the people that I know, they found, if they didn't find God, they found principle. And so, you know, sometimes people, when you say God, they automatically connect God to a religion and then they'll shut down on you. They don't want to hear you no more. But the thing is, I think for any change in our life, there must be a principle applied to something. I mean, if we're losing weight, right? We're working out. There has to be a principle in there, but it's the work, or it's just wishful thinking. You know. So yeah, the and the principle I, is, the principle is a better version of yourself, an ideal version of yourself. Which <laughs> you know that you know I I'm I'm sort of leading the witness because I you know I I like to think that it is this is the path to divinity. You know, to find the divine within. And recognize mm -hmm. that, and and you can call it principles or the universe or the vortex or the quantum or whatever. But I, I, I do think. Go, well, let me go share ahead. this right here, man. It's funny, man, because can I can I say things like, you know, can I talk about God and stuff on here? You can say whatever you want to. If it's your truth, you speak it, but brother. Oh, okay. okay. I know about you know we get shut down. No, we, we do. Hey, I, it's Wake Forest Baptist, so we love God. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, you know the funny thing is, Jesus never taught a religion. He always taught kingdom. He, he always taught. He said, "Seek ye first the kingdom." So when you think about the kingdom, the kingdom has a set of principles, right? And, and God's principles are what they are. And if you grab a hold of them, they they work. <laughs> but what people don't want to do, they don't want to seek the kingdom. They want to do it their way. And well, that takes responsibility. You have to take responsibility um, and you have to be accountable to someone, you know, and if you can't be accountable to even yourself, then you're missing something, you know, and and that's why I think the uh, again I'm 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 glad I teased this out of you because you know that's where I wanted to go with this was that <laughs> you know people have to have a reason bigger than themselves. It's got to gotta be, man. I yeah. mean. <laughs>
I mean, you know, if you look at any, if you look at the history, if you look at the history of the most successful program, which was AA, which spin off the NA, but if you look at the history of it and what made it work, they understood that it had to be something outside of themselves. Now, these are dying alcoholics at this time. You know, people are dying from alcoholism, which is oh, just yeah. mind-boggling to me. But they were dying, and, and Dr. Bob and and, uh, and 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 this group of men, they come together and they found out, wait a minute, we, we can do this. We can stay so sober by these principles and the accountability piece. You know, we hold each other accountable. We meet together. We discuss our issues together. We have somebody to, to answer to when we're not doing right, right? And all of a sudden, <laughs> these guys start getting sober, <laughs> you know, and the miracles was happening everywhere. Yeah, I, and I, I love that that message continues today. I, I just think culturally people like to associate or uh, find their communities in, in ideology, and that's what's gotten us to this binary us against them, you know, uh, black and white kinds of thinking. And, and we've gotten away. I think a, a lot of people have gotten away from uh, the principles uh, that there's something greater than themselves. And it's not governments. It's not, you know, state entities. It's not uh, heroes, in, you know, in human form. It's 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 something else. And, that, you know, that's that's the message that I think the big book uh, the AA gets to, and, and and certainly you know the teachings of of Jesus Christ um, as well, and I you know and most religions point to those principles too, and and you know I kind of get I kind of get I kind of bristle when people scoff at any type of spirituality or religion, you know, as if oh we're so advanced as a civilization we know that that's just all woo and and we you know we we worship science now and it's like well don't be so quick to discount things that we must have faith in that we can't prove you know so you know they're trying to find an absolute and something that there's no absolute in there's only one that has an absolute and i don't know any other way to put it i mean you know and we're seeing that today we're seeing hey what we thought was, you know, the answer has been revealed every day that is not the answer, right? And 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 that's important too. I mean, I I I love that there is science and that we oh, yeah, that, no that we that we've uh, progressed to the point that we have, and and people forget that science is something that evolves every day. So what was fact yesterday uh, may not be fact. Uh, uh, tomorrow, uh, and, uh, but I think that's what differentiates faith. It's that which cannot be known, but can only be felt. And I think that that's the inner light that people realize. I think, you know, when they shut down the thinking part of the brain and, and, and open up the heart, that's where the light starts shining bright. And, and I, I think you must see that a lot in your line of business. I do, I do. Oh man, you just you just staring up so much in me, man. Well, let it out. <laughs> it it you know when you think about faith and when you think about what Jesus said, the faith of a mustard seed. What most people, when they hear the mustard seed, they think a small seed and they think you know that's what he's talking about. But he's talking about the purity of the faith because 
The mustard seed is the most pure seed you can find. So just to believe, like I, I don't have to figure it out. And that's how I ended up getting sober. Like I believed because somebody else believed. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like, okay, this guy over here has been sober 17 years. And when he told his story, it was real to me. That was tangible. That was tangible to me at that time. So that's what pulled me. And God had a plan the whole time, right? But it took that moment because I was so, um, you know, my, my thinking was so distorted from the drug use and everything else, but it took another individual who had been through the same thing that I've been through to draw me. So just believing in something, like you said earlier in the comment, man, just believing in something bigger than myself is, is so important in the recovery process, man. Yeah, I I think I think that works in a lot of aspects of life too. Is that you know there's a couple of phrases that come to mind. One I read this morning, um, you know, it's biblical as well that uh, um, in order you cannot receive that which you do not give. Mm. And and I think one of the things that I've found when talking to people in recovery, like I talked to Corey Richardson and Hickory and some, you know, a lot of other people on the podcast of, you know, in the recovery space. And, and what I've noticed is they're so willing to be vulnerable and speak their truth and testify their experience um, without any shame, without any remorse, without, and just really the energy of that truth telling, uh, I yeah. think, is what has power in it because they're like this is who i was or this is how i was behaving but it was not who i was and then you know going through this process i found who i was and it's because of this energy this force that that's greater than i am yeah yeah i, I think that's what drew us man or you know on, on the uh last event that i was on and you asked me to come on i think that was drew us it was just a a matter because when uh the gentleman asked me to come on man i was like he was like if you have a, a powerpoint i was like you know i'm powerpointing out man <laughs> <laughs> like i i don't need to get on a, a zoom with all of these intelligent people and trying to, to prove to them that you know i can say some words that makes me sound like i know what i'm talking about Versus just sharing my truth with people. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the real connection. I mean, that connecting with your story yeah, is what attract, you know, what drew me to to want to reach out to you and, and, and have this conversation we're having now. So that's that's wonderful. And which begs me, begs the question, how has, um, you know, this whole pandemic over the last 18, 19 months, whatever it is now, um, how has that changed? What have you learned from it? How has that, uh, how have you overcome, uh, you know, any challenges in, 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 in that experience? Um, uh, well, first of all, uh, my relationship with God has kept me, um, uh, just being able to spend time with my wife. It has opened me up to what's really important. Sure, uh, it has opened me up to this. This life is very short, and that every day is a day to be, uh, you know, grateful for what we have. Uh, 
it's also opened me up to to see that we've been spoiled <laughs> as Americans. You know, we, we're we're so spoiled, man. We're we're just we're just spoiled, man. We're, you know, and uh, I don't know, man. It, it's it's been. It did, I didn't miss a beat, really. You know, um, I think I needed a little time just to sit back evaluate because I turned 50 this year and it's like I just I just want to do God's will and help as many people as I can uh, while I'm here man well I, you know you, you brought up two points there one of is compassion fatigue you know which is a, a real thing with caregivers and and counselors and things because we're always working with pain and mm -hmm. you know at some point that pain you know you you've dealt with it so much that you start feeling it too and so it's good to take a step back um did you find that 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 break helpful for you to re, re, rejuvenate yeah you know my job man definitely what i do today i'm not as in in the middle of the pain as i used to be when i worked in crisis units and i worked you know with the uh, recovery courts and things of that nature uh, i do a lot of advocacy work now so I haven't been as connected to it. I, I've just always made sure that I took care of myself. Uh, because what I saw in my first job was people that did this work that didn't take care of themselves and how unhealthy they was. And so I just said, you know, I don't, I don't want that. I love helping people, but it's kind of like I live by the, if the plane is going down, put your oxygen, oxygen on first. <laughs> <laughs> like, I like a tomorrow, you know, when I get off at three, I'm off. I'm just done. I'm going to go and, uh, you know, I'm going to do something that I like to do for me, um, you know, and and that keeps me able to do this with uh, a smile and, and an energy that, that helps other people. I just feel like this, man, if I'm not taking care of myself, I'm not helping other people. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Uh, so you mentioned the, the, you know, our culture, especially is, is spoiled in, in so many ways. And, and, you know, I, there, there's a difference, I think, in there between abundance and uh, overindulgence. And uh, what would you, how do you react to my statement that a lot of these issues uh, for substance use, uh, for obesity, um, for, uh, you know, all sorts of things. I'm thinking gender dysphoria, all these things. What, how much of this is lack of lack? Like we don't have, like me and you came from a time where, you know, we were inundated with smartphones and data all the time. And we had three channels. We had that thing that spun around the top of the house when, you know, you, yeah, like you yeah. had to like stand a certain way to get the channel to come in. And, and, wow. and, and, uh, you know, we didn't have, you know, where I grew up, we had, uh, two fast food restaurants. We didn't even call it that. Those were like special occasions when we go there. But it, it, I guess what I'm saying is we didn't have all the things and the access to things as as, as the, these newer generations have. And we have these epidemics of obesity and diabetes and, and all these things. And I, I contribute it to lack of lack and this lack of building resiliency and, and just looking for the easy answer. How, how would you 
you know, how do you react to that? A response? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you, man. Uh, I, I feel like that technology is great. I, you know, don't get me wrong, but I, I feel like technology is also been a hindrance to um, a generation who's never really, you know, I got I got some young cousins, man, who don't, they don't even understand just sitting and having a conversation. Like they'll be sitting around and they'll just be on their phones and they don't, you know, so it's, it's, it's saddening to me sometime that, uh, oh, and it also shows me how easy control people are because they're so locked and loaded into, you know, the media and what they're saying. And uh, we we just finished up a, a culture class and we talked about that, like just having conversations with people. Mm-hmm. And so, man, people, most people, if you really get down to the nitty gritty, they want the same things, man. You know, the pursuit of happiness, they, they want to live somewhere where nobody's breaking in their home. They want the kids to go to a decent school. They, you know, they want the, basically the same things, but, I just think the lack of communication and humanizing people, making sure that we look at people as human beings versus, you know, not being human has been a major issue. Well, that that struck me is is like what what a uh, how telling is it that people find that common ground and that sense of community in recovery more so than they do in, in so-called normal life. And that, you know, the, everyone that's a slave to that little screen that they're staring at is being driven apart and everything becomes binary us and them. And there's no more discussion. It's all debate where there has to be a winner and a loser. And, and we can't just have a discussion and, maybe learn stuff from each other. And then, you know, in the recovery community, it just seems to be so willing to share and willing to, you know, discuss and learn from each other. And and because we've had to go through that, that's where we get that humility and that sense of humanity and that shared common goal of wanting the best from each other. Yeah, one of the uh, first individuals that I met when I came into co- recovery, his name was uh, Browdy. They called him Browdy. He died. But Browdy was uh, about 6'4", 300 pounds. He was a white guy with a beard that hung over his belly, wore a beard overalls. <clears throat> and looking at him, you would have thought, you know, this guy's some type of, you know, he don't like black people, right? That would have been the first thing. <laughs> man, this dude, he was the first dude, man, that hugged me, and I knew he loved me, man. And I loved him, man, and he loved me, man. And it was like, I think our generation, this generation is missing that, man. They're missing, like, you, you, you're so deceived that to believe that, <laughs> you know. Yeah, we're, people, we're conditioned to judge instead of assume the best intention. Yeah, yeah. So he taught me a lot, man. And so what I try to do now through, you know, what he taught me is to offer that same, extend that same love to people um, in everything that I do, man. I believe if I, if I declare to the world that, you know, I'm a believer, that should be my first <laughs> assignment is to walk in that. Yeah, no, that's beautiful, man. Well, 
Hey, there's. I'm sure I'll think of a million more things I want to talk to you about and ask you, but we're right at an hour, and I, you know, that's what I promised. And and uh, man, you're such a beautiful human. I'm glad we had this chance to talk, and, and I really appreciate your time today. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. Man, I feel like a celebrity now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are. You're a change strategist and, and, and a hero. So to yeah, many, man. I'm sure. Thank you, man. I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. I just pray that it bless somebody, and, and you keep doing what you're doing, man. I well, I appreciate it. it. And, and tell everyone how they can learn more about what you do and, and get in touch with you if they... Yeah, so I work for Recovery Communities of North Carolina, and uh, you can reach us at uh, rcnc.org. That is our website, and all our information is on there. Uh, give us a call, man. We are open uh, five days a week. We're located in Raleigh, but we do travel. We do stigma reduction training, messaging training. Um, we'll just try to help you any way we can in this recovery process. And that number is 919-231-0248. That's Recovery Communities of North Carolina. And I'm Andrew Brewer here with, with Troy Manns, and I'm with Northwest Area Health Education Center at nwahec.org. And I appreciate you listening. Thank you.